Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. You may be seated as we turn to the Word. We'll get there in a moment. What a wonderful time of worship. I hope you've enjoyed that. If you're new to Bethel, my name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad to have you here. See some of my Dixon contingent. So good to see y'all. We have a new a church plant that's starting in Dixon. It's a relaunch of a church, and they're sitting right here, just uh, seven rows back, something like that. Great to see you, friends. Really, really great to see that whole row there. Wonderful. Um, great to see all of you. It's always good to be back in the house of the Lord, and, and I really enjoy this church. It's a fun church to be a part of. Even, whatever age, whatever background of life, whether it's kids dancing in the front makes me so happy, man. It just makes me so happy. Kids dancing in the front with joy or people who are just barely making it in today, but you made it in. <laughs> hey, and, you, and I say, good to see you, and you say, it's good to be seen because I can still be seen. I understand what you're saying. It's good to have you here. Um, can I switch gears just a little bit and talk about something just kind of silly? Do you mind? How many of you have been to a theme park in the last year? Last year or so, something like that. Anybody? How many of you have been to one of those little theme park kind of things that you're not sure you should ride any of the rides? You don't know. I don't know. Is this safe? Like it looked really fun for the road and the lights and everything. Then you pull over and you see the person who's manning the ride. And you think, I'm not so sure I should get on that thing. You know, are you sober? You know, that's the kind of question, right? One of, the, one of the rides I love at those little cheap kind of theme parks, because I don't get scared about getting on it, is bumper cars. I don't know why I love bumper cars. I just turn back into a little boy somehow as soon as I get in to that bumper car ride. You know how it is you double strap in as if you're in a race car. You're just in the, we're not going to go more than probably 10 miles an hour. And it's got rubber all the way around the thing. But you still got to double strap in. They make sure you're all. And then there's a post that goes up and the hook that gets to the grate. That's where the electricity comes. You get in. As soon as I get into that little bumper car and fold myself into that tiny thing, my foot is on the pedal. Now, the electricity hasn't started yet. But my foot is on the pedal, and I'm pushed on that. I'm, I'm ready to bump somebody. I want to ram them from behind. I'm going to ram them from the side. I'm going to ram them every which way, right? I just love that. It's something silly and simple, but I love bumper cars. Now, the worst thing that can happen to you in a bumper car ride, though, you know what the worst thing is. It's not getting bumped. You know you're going to get bumped. Everybody's having fun bumping each other. The worst thing that can happen is someone zeroes in on you, you know? They make it their personal mission to harass and harangue you and bump you from behind, bump you from the side and work you all the way over in a corner, T-bone straight into you and keep their foot down on the pedal. And there you are for the last three minutes of the ride, stuck with this person laughing maniacally, ha! <laughs> and you can't go anywhere. It ruins the whole bumper car ride, right? Let me tell you something. Church is not bumper cars. But we want to make it that way. Church is not bumper cars. But we try to turn church into bumper cars. Want to bump into as many people as possible. Don't get me stuck. Won't be long and the ride is done. Electricity's off. 
out I walk. Would you grab your Bibles? If you have them with you, I do encourage you to bring your physical Bible. You'll be much less distracted if you have one. If not, it's fine. Turn, either open your Bible or turn one on, so to speak, and go to the book of, of Hebrews. It's near the back of your Bible, so you get past all the T's, you know, the Timothys and the Thessalonians, the Titus, and then you get past Philemon and you hit the book of Hebrews. If you hit James, you're too far. It'll be up on the screen for you as well if you don't have a Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, and I'll be in verse 24 and verse 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Listen to it and listen to how church is being envisioned. It's not bumper cars. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want to talk to you from this passage today about bumper cars and trailer hitches. We'll get to the trailer hitch in a little while. Do you hear what this passage is talking about? Pretty quickly you can tell there's some things that aren't in the mind of this preacher. The book of Hebrews, by the way, is probably the only full sermon we have in the entire Bible. Every other sermon we have is a summation of a sermon, a condensation of a sermon, things cut out, things left out and stuck together. But this one, if you read it out loud, it's about 35 minutes long. It's the length of a sermon. It reads like a sermon, sounds like a sermon, is written like a sermon. It's probably one of the great preachers of the early church gave this excellent sermon, preeminent sermon, and then it was written down and passed on to others, because everybody else needs to hear this thing, right? And all the way up, uh, the book of Hebrews, from chapters 1 all the way up into chapter 10, it's been talking about the preeminence of Christ, the superiority of Christ, Jesus Christ in his sacrifice, fulfilling the temple, Jesus Christ in his sacrifice, fulfilling the old sacrificial system, Jesus Christ in his life and suffering and death, fulfilling all of what Scripture has had to say up until now. And it builds in this great, glorious, singing sermon up until to chapter 10 where it says Jesus Christ once and for all sat down and the work was finished. Every other priest has had to stand up day after day. Jesus Christ sat down. It's like this mic drop moment in Hebrews chapter 10. And then it gets to the three applications for the sermon. There's three. And they're here in this in the verses that lead up to this one. The first one is to draw near to God. The second one is to hold fast to your faith. And then it gives this application in verses 24 and 25. In other words, these two verses are the pinnacle of the book of Hebrews. If you want to figure out how to live the book of Hebrews, this is the, this is the climax application of the climax of the book of Hebrews. So put it on a note card, stick it in your pocket, take it with you to work, put it on your desk, talk about it around your dinner table when you're driving with somebody, try to recite it back and forth, memorize that thing. If you don't memorize any other verse during this sermon series, memorize these two. But as I reflect on these two verses this week, there's, and we're talking about presence, there's three kinds of wrong presence that aren't in these two verses. So in a way, I want to start by telling you three things that aren't in the Bible. Because sometimes we have to preach about what isn't to figure out what is. Three wrong kinds of presence. Number one, a show. Sometimes we come to church like we come to a show. We bring our presence, but the presence we bring is the same kind of presence we bring to a show. 
Now that might sound hypocritical at first to you, because you might say, now Pastor Dave, come on, just a second, Dave, 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 buddy, just Hey, you know that we kind of got like, look over there. Did you notice over there, Dave? Like right up there, there's a screen. And you, back there, did you hear what was going on? There's guitars, there's, there's drums, there's, there's all kinds of excellent show, but isn't it, doesn't it sometimes feel like a show? Over the last 50 years in our culture, the level of expectation for professional quality has increased, 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 increased in rapid form. To the point that if you want to reach this culture, the standard of level of expectation is much higher than it has ever been. And in other words, I want to reach this culture. You want to reach this culture. And the churches that have said, nah, we're not going to do that, aren't reaching this culture. So we want to have a level of professional excellence that doesn't embarrass God to this culture. Because they will be repelled then by a lower level of professional excellence than they get somewhere else by things that are done elsewhere, singing, speaking, etc. Are you following me? So in other words, if you're a Christian in the room, the show isn't for you. There's other things that are for you. I mean, the whole the church is your church. But the, the fact that it feels like a show, that's not for you. That's for people who don't get this yet, who don't understand what's going on, who aren't mature, who haven't followed God, who haven't got the spirit deeply within them, who don't have an inner drive. It's all externals. You see? Now, some people tell me that day, you know, I just love the, I just love the stained glass and the robes and the, and the candles and the chanting. I'm like, oh, you love other externals. You love the show that was created for the 1500s to reach that culture. Well, that's not wrong to love that show, but it won't reach this culture effectively. Trust me, it will not, it has not in any space where that's the primary thing. But listen, just because there are elements of show, don't be deceived. Don't get fooled. We're not trying to come in as Christians to this place like we would to a concert or something else. We're trying to come in with a different kind of presence. And part of the reason that we have to have that level of excellence is think about it. In your living room, you can get world-class performance better than it would be if you were there in person. World-class performance, a concert, and you sit in your living room and the audio goes just right and the visuals are just right, nothing's distracting. I was at a, at a worship service just last year with a friend I was with this week, uh, one of our pastors from Every Nation, his name's Keith Tower, pastor's down in, in Florida, and his name is very appropriate, those of you who know him, Keith Tower. He used to be the practice buddy for Shaquille O'Neal. He's just ginormous. He's massive. And he stood up in front of me in a worship service and it blocked out all the light. I got disoriented and had vertigo. And they said, Keith, could you at least duck? I got to worship here. You know, he's just huge. There's no distractions in your living room. There's no blocking. There's, there's no angles in the room that make the sound weird. I was watching a baseball game, just an inning and a half with my buddy. We love the Dodgers because that's God's team and everybody wears blue in heaven. I don't know if you've heard of the City of Angels. Have you heard of the City of Angels, Los Angeles? You know, it's a very spiritual thing. So we're, we're watching just a, an inning and a half of, 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 of the Dodgers because we're part of Blue Nation. I see some of you here today. Thank 
thank you for being here. Um, and there was this great play. There's a throw from the outfield to second base. Uh, uh, one of the Phillies is trying to turn a single into a double, and he's racing towards second base. And Gavin Lux, our, our second baseman, gra- gra- grabs that tag, grabs the throw perfectly, and sweeps down right in front of the, the bag, just right across, sweeps the front of the bag, and catches the fingers of the Philly player who's sliding and bends them back just before they can touch the bag. And you can see the dust fly up in between the fingers and the bag in my living room. (laughs) And everybody watching the screen knew, he's out! And the ump said, don't worry, that's part of baseball. One of the things we love about baseball is being mad at the umps. I don't know, it's some sort of catharsis for life. We're always mad at the umps. But we had a better vision of that world-class play in our living room than the ump did who was three feet away. Do you see what's happened to us? And we got to reach that culture. But that doesn't mean we give in to the culture. Wrong kind of presence. Don't treat this just like a show. Two, uh, the second wrong kind of presence is my kind of show. Not just treating it like a show. Sometimes we treat it like it's supposed to be my kind of show. Church doesn't need to be my kind of show. No, it doesn't. So sometimes people, when they move, we live in a very mobile society, need to start looking for a church. And if they're honest, subconsciously, people, when they're looking for a church, aren't saying, they might say these things out loud. They might say, well, I want a Bible-believing and spirit-filled and missional church. They might say those kind of things, things that actually matter more. But when they go, what they're doing is intuitively feeling and subconsciously checking out, well, is this my style? Is this my kind of show? Can I just share a secret that's going to sound negative, but it's actually going to be positive? I'm going to reveal some things about me. Is that okay? I actually see your faces, by the way, just so you know, I can see your faces. So uh, this is how, this is most people's listening face. Can I give you your listening face? And I say, uh, can I tell you something? You're like, I'm saying yes with my face right now. It may not look like it, but I'm saying, yeah, can I share you something that's it's going to sound negative, but it's actually positive. Okay, good. All right, great. Uh, so I don't like every song Bethel sings. That sounds negative. It's not. That's actually a celebration for me. That's a celebration of my worship team, my worship pastors, the people who I, I don't mean my like I own them. I mean like I'm under them when I'm sitting in worship. That's what I mean. Like I'm following their leadership. I'm getting into what they are sensing in the spirit we need to do. And it doesn't mean that every song's mine. Like some of these songs, when it says woe, if a song says woe in it, W-H-O-A, I'm already done. And especially if we put the word up there. Like did we run out of real words? Why is woe on the screen? Whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, you know, I'm not really into that. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> and my heart doesn't seem edified, you know, I was like, let's say something, and whoa. And then I look over at my boy who I love more than my life. And he's built now, whoa. <laughs> And I get up in the morning and I hear him listening to the song up there while he's getting ready and it's worship and it's whoa. And he's singing whoa. And I come home at night and he's belting whoa. And I'm like, if whoa leads into Jesus, put whoa up on the screen. So maybe it wasn't for me. Maybe that part of this whole thing just wasn't for me. Third, someone else's show. 
Sometimes we come to this place with the same kind of presence we bring to a show. Sometimes we want to treat it like it needs to be my kind of show. Sometimes we come in and think this is somebody else's show. They're going to get it done. They're going to run the thing. I'm going to walk in. I'm going to sit. I'm going to enjoy it and say, well, that was nice. And we're going to go have dinner. We're going to say, what would you think of the show? And they're going to tell each other what they thought of the show. I don't even want to ask people anymore, where do you go to church? I want to ask, where do you serve? What church do you serve? I don't want to ask, what church are you a member of? I want to ask, what church are you a leader of? Because it's not somebody else's show. Let me just read to you the passage so I don't have to talk about it too much. You'll hear it coming right out of the Bible. Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, that's not new, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you hear all the us and the one another's? This isn't somebody else's show. This is our church. This is our spiritual family. And this spiritual family is going to be what we make this spiritual family to be. And if this spiritual family isn't something I want it to be, what am I going to do about this spiritual family becoming what I need it to be? What am I going to do? Because it's not somebody else's show. Well, let's stop talking about what it shouldn't be. Let's start talking about what it should be. Is that good? Three right kinds of presence for those of you taking notes. So we had three wrong kinds of presence. Now let's talk about three right kinds of presence. Number one, consider others. The first word here in the passage, 24, 20, verse 24, let us consider how to stir up others towards love and good works. In the Greek, it's actually this way. Considering others stir up unto love and good works. It's kind of awkward when you try to translate into English. So those of you who speak other languages, who have two languages in your, in your pocket, you know that sometimes one language doesn't go over real smoothly to the next one. And so you have to kind of iron out the wrinkles in between. So the, the translators have done a good job ironing out the wrinkles, but it really is saying considering others. That's the first thing. Think about others, and the word is to fix your attention on something so that you fully understand it and grasp it. In other words, we're supposed to go into church looking around us and saying, i got to fix my attention on the Bonners. I want to understand them. I want to get to where I know them and see them fully. I don't want to just walk in and bump bumper car and then walk out. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I want to get into the place where I'm considering other people, and then of course it's not my kind of show, because when a song comes and it wakes me up that I'm not supposed to be just worried about myself, I start to bend outward towards others. St. Augustine, Augustine of Hippo, that African bishop way back in the early part of the church said, the definition of sin is this, to be incurvatus inse in the Latin, which means to be curved in on yourself. The definition and root of sin is to be self-focused, self-attentive, self-paying attention all the time, me, 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 me. And to only focus on yourself leads you into sin. Slowly over time, you spiral down tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter until it's all about you. So church, one of the great things it does if we do it right is forces us to start looking around and saying, hey, look, there's a lot of people that are different than me. Praise God for that, actually. They think differently than me, act differently than me, worship differently than me. Wonderful. Now, some of you are really quiet. That's great. You're going to give a Dutch hallelujah in a minute, and nobody's going to hear it. Hmm. Great. Some of you are boisterous. Some of you are demonstrative and verbal. 
great. I mean, as long as we're not distracting others on the one hand or judging others on the other hand, great, come the way you are. All I care is that you're free to worship the Lord. But considering others means we pay attention to them. We don't just bump into them. We pray into their life. We listen to their story. We take time for one another. Two, challenge others. Consider others. Challenge others. You can probably already feel the tension. Let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good works. In uh, the Greek, it's actually a word that means to poke or to prod. So some translations, some of your versions may say spur one another on towards love and good works. I believe that is the NIV, NIV, at least an older version of the NIV. Like the metal spurs that jab into the ribs of the horse to make it go poof and start running because it was kind of slowing down like, oh, I'm tired, I'm done with this. And Okay, I'll run a little faster if you're going to do that. So it's, kind of, it's an aggressive sort of challenge. When it's in a negative context, it's an argument. So Barnabas and Saul got, uh, got into sharp dispute, same word, and therefore divided from each other. There's a sharpness to it. Sometimes we don't like it when we get challenged by others. In other words, the word is phrased that way because it's never comfortable when somebody challenges me. It's never comfortable when they challenge me, even in the best of ways. But I still need that challenge. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was sitting back there somewhere, or standing back there, 10, 12 rows back, something like that. And someone who's becoming a dear friend of mine in the church had given me what they had received as a dream about me in July or something like that, shared with me a long time ago. But then they shared a, they, they pulled me aside back there and said, I have a, just, God gave me something. It was like a waking dream, almost like a vision. It was, and actually, the, when he rolled it out, I was like, boy, this is true. This is really true. And then sent him texts throughout the week and said, this part of what God showed you is being fulfilled, 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 fulfilled. But I, when I came to him, I said, can you share with me what God, you told me that God gave to you? And I was talking about the vision. And he brought back up the dream. I know you want to hear that vision, but I'm going to give you the dream again. Because it was a corrective dream, a challenging dream that I hadn't fully yet lived into. Even though that was back in July, I'm still working on it. He said, let me give you the dream again first. And then he gave me the vision. I'm so glad he did. It's been challenging me all week. It challenged me again this morning. I still stumbled into it again this morning. I still need that challenge. Does it make me comfortable? No. But he's got a relationship with me that gives him the right. And now, let me just pause for a moment. This doesn't give you a license to start abusing people spiritually. Like, I got a word from God from you. You're a jerk. Uh, I'm pretty sure that wasn't the Lord. Uh, that might have been a spirit, but it wasn't God's spirit. That's the spirit of the accuser. That, hey, I don't know what's wrong with you, but uh, right now maybe I need to challenge back. That some people use this kind of thing as, a, as an excuse for being judgmental or just plain weird. Don't, just, Christians don't have to be weird. We're already weird enough. We're a peculiar people. Don't add weird on top of weird, Okay. But we do need to speak the truth into each other's life. Pastor James, my dear friend, who's praying with, praying with me this morning for you all, uh, and, and we talked, we talked yesterday for about an hour about the church and everything that's going on, uh, sends his greetings, by the way. When I first moved here, we were, uh, we hadn't been here for very long at all, but we were hanging out with families, and it was a tense time, a tense time in our families. In, our, in my family, because we just moved everybody, right? And everybody, everything's packed up, and we don't know where we're going to live, and we don't know what's going on, and we don't know all these people. So I'm trying to get to know everybody in the setting that we're in, trying to connect. 
and uh, he pulled me aside after a little while. I said, "Dave, are we close enough friends that I can offer you just a little challenge, a little correction?" I said, "We reached that years ago, buddy." <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. He receives it from me. Why shouldn't I receive it from him? He said, "Right now, just because of where you're at in life, you're you're really giving everybody your best." But when Holly needs something, she's getting short Dave, quick Dave, curt Dave. You don't mean to do it. You're not doing it on purpose. You're not trying to be mean. But she's not getting the same you that others are getting, and it's kind of obvious. Boy, I tried to fix that quick. She's the most important thing in the world. It's like having something green in your teeth, you know, and you're grinning real big walking around and nobody's telling you you got this big thing of spinach right here and nobody's going to tell you, like, my friend is going to tell me I got spinach in my teeth. Right? And he has the right to. We've spent hours upon hours upon hours upon hours together. We're close. We're not bumper cars. So when we come to church, we want to consider others, we want to challenge others. Number three, Celebrate others. Celebrate others. Let us consider how to spur one another on towards love and good works, not forgetting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching near. You know, psychologists tell us that we need on average about seven celebrations for every one correction for us to feel psychologically secure in a relationship. About seven celebrations for every one correction for us to feel psychologically secure in a relationship on average. So if you're going to do point number two, you better listen to point number three. (laughs) Because if you're going to challenge somebody and you haven't celebrated, 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 celebrated God's good work in their life, celebrated, celebrated, celebrated their faithfulness to respond back to God with worship, celebrated, celebrated, celebrated their best attempts at getting life together even though they're human, celebrated, 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 then when you bring that challenge, it's going to feel wrong because it is wrong. We need to speak the truth, but in love. And love is always celebrating the good. Love is always seeing the good, believing in the good, and speaking love and joy over somebody. So we have to celebrate others. Otherwise, we'll be insecure. And the more we get challenged, the more insecure we'll become. And then people stop coming to this house where they should feel most secure because they know somebody's going to pull them aside for a minute who's never really loved them all the way. You just bump and challenge, bump and challenge, bump and challenge. Quit that. Just quit it. No, look at them, consider them, hear their story, celebrate the good, celebrate the good, celebrate the good, celebrate the good. Spiritually see what even they can't see. I remember I was preaching one of my earliest sermons and a mentor came. I was so scared to death that he was going to be there at that sermon. Scared to death, but I asked him to be there. I knew I needed feedback, so I asked him for his feedback. I said, come listen to me preach. And uh, he came to, to hear me preach. He was sitting in the back, and there was an altar call at the end. Was, there was a good number there, a decent number there. And then I was talking to people, and so he snuck up to me, and he just stuck in my hand a folded-up piece of paper. I have it memorized, by the way. I took it everywhere I preached for the next 10 years. One little scribbled-out word of encouragement. I never say it publicly, never will say it publicly. But at that point back then, when I opened it and read it, I could not believe what he was saying about me. It was too far out in the future, too different from what I currently felt like I was, but I knew God was trying to say something to lead me into that future. 
Now I look back at that and say, man, he was right. But God did it, and I couldn't believe him doing it back then. It helped me have faith to keep moving into my calling. One little note written and slapped into my hand, and off he went. You have no idea the power of your encouraging words. The tongue has the power of life and death. Let's speak life to each other when we're in this place. We need to speak life. I told you I'd talk about bumper cars and trailer hitches. I think it's time to talk about the trailer hitch. Pastor JT brought this for me today. Thank you, Pastor JT. My, I've got a couple of these, but they're in tubs somewhere. We couldn't find them buried in attics behind things in the garage. It's a hefty one. I expect nothing less from our men's ministry, right? This has got some weight to it. You could hurt somebody with this thing. I, okay, trailer hitch. This goes into one vehicle so that another vehicle can have a piece that attaches to this vehicle and locks in. And now they can go in tandem together. One part of this enters into one part of that and locks in. Bumper cars just bump and move. A trailer hitch locks in. And if you forcibly remove the two, it will damage both. Here's uh, where this comes from, the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we say that it's three in one. Theologians tell us not only is God of one essence, making God one, but the three persons of the Trinity, though they can be separated in our understanding, differentiated, one enters into the other, back and forth, is the fancy word perichoresis. They enter into each other, back and forth in a divine dance. One part of the Father enters into the Son. One part of the Son enters into the Spirit. One part of the Spirit enters into the Father. Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until they're so interconnected with one another that they're indissoluble. They are one. So that you can't really say they're three, they're one. But you can't really say they're one, they're three. But you can't really say they're three, they're one. It's the divine mystery of the Trinity that we talk about in theology. And it is where we get our picture of community from. We need trailer hitch community because that's who God is. And let me tell you what I mean. Trailer hitch community is this. Enough of my life enters into yours. And enough of your life enters into mine that we lock in together. And if you forcibly remove us from one another, it will hurt. It will damage us. If you can just walk out of a church and walk away and it doesn't hurt and damage you, you didn't have true Christian community. You didn't lock in. You bumped and run. You played bumpers, cars. You went to the show. But we need this more than ever. Let me just give a qualification for those of you watching online. If you have a compromised immune system or serious health problem, I understand you protecting yourself. I'm glad we have this for you. If you're traveling and you're out of town and this is your way of streaming in, and I'm glad we have that for you. I think that's actually fantastic. I affirm both of those things. But if you're going to the stadium, you're going to the grocery store, you're flying on those planes where nobody's wearing a mask now, and they're sneezing and coughing, spraying stuff everywhere. We've even just lost manners now. You've been on a plane lately, people aren't even using their elbow. It's like, would you cover? It's like aerosol everything. It's just gross even without a pandemic. Come on. It's cough in your elbow. 
If you're going on planes and other public places and you're not yet back to church, it's time to bring your presence back here. This passage says, do not forsake or do not abandon. The word is to forsake or to abandon, to leave in a destitute situation the gathering together of believers. In other words, when we remove our presence from each other, the other loses something. We need each other. We bring something to each other that when we lock in, we don't get any other way. Listen, the world has plenty of shows. Plenty of shows. Not much of this. Uh, make another confession, a sad one. I really wish I could connect with more people in this church all the way down to this level. I really do. And some of you getting close with, I'm so grateful for that, but we have something like 30 people just on our staff. That's the team I'm privileged to work with. Psychologists tell us we can really do this with about 12 people. I wonder why Jesus had 12. If he can't do it, can I do it? <laughs> that means I can't even lock in this way with all our staff. Now, you can get to a friendly relationship of acquaintances up to about 25 to 50, somewhere in there where you really have a deeper friendship. Uh, you're not fully locked in, but you're at a deeper friendship. You really know each other pretty well. Beyond that, you're just going to play bumper cars. There's not much else you can do. You only have so much space in your life. In other words, I can't be this for all of you. Pastor James can't be this for all of you. Pastor Delvin can't be this for all of you. If we add up all our staff, actually, we can't be this for all of you. You have to find a way to have your life enter into other people's lives in this church and their life enter into your life in this church so that you get so interconnected with one another that you lock in. You know what we call that? Life groups. And if you lead somebody to Christ and you start working through a purple book with them to establish their biblical foundations and there's the two of you, you've started your life group and you've got a trailer hitch connection. Good job. If you don't have a purple book yet, get one on your way out at the guest center when you walk out. They'll hand one right into your hand. It's one of the best follow-up tools you can get. When they lead somebody to Christ and now you've got three, you've got a life group building and growing, you grow that thing until there's so many in there that you realize we can't trailer hitch together anymore. So you raise up one of those leaders and say, I think it's time for you to lead a life group. I know it's going to hurt, but we have to intentionally unlock a little bit so that you can lock into somebody else so that more people can get locked into this church because that's what we need otherwise we're going to have people coming in and out and in and out and in and out of these doors all the time never feeling locked in but feeling lots of bumps and runs this is the single most important thing we do at Bethel this is not the most important thing we do at Bethel. Preaching, that's important. The word of God's important. This is the single most important thing we do at Bethel. If you are leading a life group and you're a life group leader, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're working together with a life group leader saying, let me help you, maybe someday I can start one too, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you are part of a life group and you're faithfully bringing your presence there, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> let me just say, this can't happen just on Zoom. And if that's where you're stuck because of a health condition, you have to work harder, reach out more, be more proactive, text and phone call because something is missing. I guarantee you that you're going to have to work extra to add back into your life. We need trailer hitches, not bumper cars. Are you ready to be a trailer hitch church? Stand with me. I'm going to ask you the next few times you come to church to keep those three things, three things central in your mind. 
I need to consider others. I need to pay attention to them, listen to them, hear their story, really see them and understand them, get to know them better, get to know their names, get to know their stories, go deeper. I want to make sure that I celebrate others enough so that when the time comes, I can challenge them and the relationship is built well enough that it doesn't feel awkward, doesn't feel wrong. They'd say, well, why wouldn't you get that green thing out of my teeth? Thank you. I want you to consider others. I want you to challenge others. I want you to celebrate others. What's the key word in church on the basis of those three points? You tell me. It was repeated three times. Others. Church is not about me. Church is about others. Would you bow your heads with me? Pastor Delvin's going to come and close us in just a moment. But before we do, I think there might be some people here today who are saying, Dave, that's exactly what I need. What you're talking about is what I need. I don't have that connected community. Uh, Ministry team, I invite you to come down. Ministry team, come down. If you'd say that that's you, would you just slip your hands up and say, look, I don't have that kind of community. All I'm doing is bumper cars, Dave. Everybody's head bowed and eyes closed. You just say, really, I'm just getting bumper cars left and right. Thank you. Yeah, I see you. I'm just bumper cars all over the place. I need a deeper community. Yep, I see you, man. In the back. Yeah, I see you, man. Others? Yes, I see you, man. Listen, if you keep bumping and running, it's going to stay that way. You need to find a way to connect. This ministry team is down here for a reason. They're ready to pray with you. They're not just ready to pray with you. They'll tell you how you can start getting connected into a community that locks in together. They'll get you into those steps that are working for us in our community. They'll help you find that. If they get stuck and you get stuck, come, come talk to me. We'll figure it out. Don't stay alone. Lord, I pray for each hand that was raised against depression and loneliness. I pray against a sense of isolation. I do pray that you would bring relationships into each of these lives, even in this place, even in this time, even in this hour, that would begin to go closer and closer and closer. It takes time. It won't happen in an instant. It won't happen with a snap of the fingers. But I pray that you would begin to turn the tide in that. Give them courage to come and speak with someone, to work through that. Give them courage to pray with someone. I pray that they would do what doesn't feel automatic or natural or good, to work against their own incurved sense and instincts where they just isolate more. And I pray that most of all, you would help them sense your presence right now, that they are never alone because you are always with them. In Jesus' name I pray.